Good morning and welcome to the vineyard. I want to talk about bread for a moment. I was at uh, an, a conference recently and the girl who was speaking was talking about bread. And the week before that, I was on a, a trip up north and the person I was staying with makes his own bread and we were talking about bread. So bread was a theme running around over the past few weeks. And an interesting thing that both of them were speaking to me about was that They'd heard accounts of people uh, here in the States who are, have become gluten intolerant over the years because we all know it's on the rise. A lot of people are having to back off of gluten stuff, so they're missing out on good bread. And there's lots of stories of people who are gluten, t- gluten intolerant here in the USA traveling to Europe and eating the bread over there and being fine, not having any problems, having no reactions and all that kind of stuff which has thrown up a whole bunch of questions, hasn't it? It's like, why is it they're gluten intolerant over here and not gluten intolerant in Europe? Let's just assume for a moment they're not being difficult. So I know some of you are thinking that. Let's assume for a moment they genuinely are gluten intolerant over here in the USA. One of the theories bouncing around is that the actual preparation of the bread. Our bread that we buy in the stores here is mass-produced. So when the dough is worked to get the gluten to kind of form and form all the bubbles so it can capture all the carbon dioxide so that the bread can raise, that's actually, that's actually done artificially now. Whereas in Europe, they still do it the traditional way that we've done it for thousands of years. The people actually work the dough. There's a lot of working of the dough gang. Whereas over here, it's done differently. It's, so the gluten that is formed in the bread that you and I eat from the store is actually a much more artificial version of a natural form of gluten, which is more present in European bread. And so therefore, some people think that's what's happening. It's the, it's the artificial nature of the bread we're eating that's causing us to become more intolerant of it. Whatever the cause is, it's kind of sad because bread has been central to the thriving of the human race for thousands of years. Not to mention it's pretty central in one of our main spiritual practices in Christianity. That would be communion. You know, when we have communion here on a Sunday morning, we try and keep it brief, so it's a little bit of a gluten-free wafer and a little drink. But real communion, which we do in our small groups every once in a while, is a meal, isn't it? It's a proper meal with proper bread that you break and you share the bread around, but it's also a part of a bigger thing. It's a social gathering. It's, it's, It's a connecting of community, people coming together, sharing lives, encouraging one another in the Lord remembering, physically remembering and talking about what Jesus did for us and eating that bread and thinking about that bread as you have to sit and chew it and swallow it and drinking from a big cup of juice or wine. So as you're sipping and you're drinking that, you're constantly submersing yourself in communion. And so it's kind of sad when you have to have a little dry wafer and you can't have real bread because everybody, even people who are gluten intolerant, likes real bread. There's very few people who don't like bread. And bread is life-giving. It has, it has enabled humanity to get to the point that it's gotten to. And it's a theme of bread being a life-giving thing that runs through the Bible all the time. I mean, just if you know the Bible very well, Think back to the time when the Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. And how did God feed them? Well, he sent manna from heaven. What was manna? Manna was a heavenly bread. It was a bread that they they understood to be a part of the life that God provides. And so they would go out and they would gather this bread and this this stuff and, 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 and make food out of it. 
It was life-giving. The, the whole theme of bread is about bringing life and giving life. And so today, as we begin a new series where we consider about who, think Jesus, who, think, who Jesus thinks he is, we're going to be digging into his first saying, and that is, I am the bread of life. So just pray with me before we get into that reading today. Lord, we thank you that it is your desire to bring life to people. That although you are our God, you're, you are our judge, you still desire more to give mercy. And so, Lord, we gather before you today and we ask you for your mercy. We pray that you'd make yourself present by your Holy Spirit as you promised in Scripture. And that you would draw near to each one of us here today and you would teach us something. And in that teaching, Lord, that you would help us to open just a little bit more of ourselves up to you. To submit to you just a little bit more and to follow you more faithfully. We thank you that you love us, Lord. Guide my words today. Let anything not of you be forgotten. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 6. It'll also be on the screen behind me. And so our reading today comes from a pretty intense period in Jesus' ministry. So we're going to be reading an interaction, a conversation that he's having with a group of people. But the day before this, he has just miraculously fed thousands of people on five loaves of bread and two fish. Then, when those people start, got all super excited about this weird thing that he did and they wanted to make him king by force, he quickly ran away or snuck away into the wilderness to go and hide and uh, presumably pray. So whilst everybody's wondering where Jesus had snuck off to, the disciples jump in a boat and head over to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. During the night, they're sitting there rowing hard against the wind. They see something walking on the water. They freak out. That just happens to be Jesus walking on the water. When he says, hey, don't worry, lads, it's me. Don't if you use that terminology. They calmed down, said, okay, Lord, get in the boat. They got, he got in the boat, and then they were at the other side. Don't know how that worked, but we think it might be another miracle. And so not long after this, all the people who were left behind on the other side of the lake realize, hey, Jesus is gone, maybe he's on the other side. So they all jump in boats and make their way over, chasing after him to try and get to him again. And so they find him, and this is where we take up the story. It says this in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, as Jesus usually did, he never really answered the question, gave another answer. He goes, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Because they're starting to ask about how do they get this thing that Jesus is talking about. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Who are these people? Have you ever done that? You know, God's done something amazing in your life, and then two minutes later, you're praying, oh, God, give me a sign. Lord, do, do something in my life. And so these people like that. They've just seen an amazing miracle. They've chased him because of the miracle. And then he's talking, they say, okay, well, what are you going to do to show us that you're the real deal? And I mean, I don't know what, I don't know if Jesus ever whacked his own head off a rock or something out of sheer, sheer frustration. 
But he must have been looking at them going, who are you people? I mean, were you, were you there on the other? Anyway, so anyway, so it, it carries on. And they say this to him. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Really interesting passage of Scripture. Loads of things you can take out of it. Loads of questions that it throws up. Loads of you know, eyebrow raising that you could go as you kind of examine it. But there's a few things I want to dig out of this passage today. And the first one is this. We are hungry. You know, we human beings, we eat to stay alive. But very few people have that simple view to food. I mean, how many people do you know are just like, well, you know, I don't really care much about food. I just eat what I need to eat so I don't die, right? How many people do you know are like that? Very few. Our physical eating habits are a lot more complex than that. More often than not, we choose the food that tastes great because it makes us feel good, and that because it makes us, you know, feel like we're living better. We like to feel like we're living a fuller life by the food that we eat. My favorite type of meal is curry. I just love a South Indian garlic chili chicken, you know. That's what I got when I was on vacation in Scotland because the Indian restaurants over here don't have it. Makes you smell for days, right? But it's just amazing. When I feel it, I feel so warm inside. I feel amazing. I always eat too much, and then I regret it, okay? It's the usual. We, we, our, our, food, our food habits are complex. We don't just eat to, to, to stay alive. We kind of eat to try and live, if you know what I mean. Try and live a bit more, a bit better. You know, we, we come across great food, and we begin to pursue it, all the more because we want more of that goodness. We want what it's given us. There's that something extra. It kind of reminds me of grace. Not the grace you're thinking of. Grace, my brother's dog. My, my brother has a dog, and he named it Grace. I don't know why, but the dog's name's Grace. So anyway, so this poor dog lives on regular dog food, right? That's all he gets all year round. But every once in a while, there's an old guy that shows up at my brother's house and stays there for a few months. That old guy's called my dad. So my dad, my brother lives in Cape Town in South Africa. My dad lives in Scotland. So my dad likes to go over there in the Scottish winter so he can warm up. So he heads over there every January for three months, and he stays at my brother's house. So my dad has become the dog's new best friend. And the reason why is because my brother just gives the dog regular dog food, right? But when my dad shows up, he buys all the, the nice stuff that we South Africans love. We love a thing called biltong, which is like a beef jerky but slightly different. And we have this thing called Dravorce, which is dry sausage. Doesn't sound that great to all you all, right? But trust me, it's a little bit of heaven here on earth. It's amazing stuff. So anyway, my dad buys this in copious amounts because you can't buy it in Scotland. And he eats it and eats it. And then what happens is every time the dog comes in, my dad's like, ah, he tosses a bit to the dog. Well, the dog eats it, and the dog's like, this is the best stuff I've ever come across in my short life. And so whenever my dad's in the house, the dog just sits at his door all day long. doesn't go anywhere. 
Why? Because it knows there's good things happening inside that room right there. And if he stays there long enough, that weird dude inside there is going to throw something at him, and it's just going to do amazing things in his body, right? So the dog, or her, she's a, she's a girl. Grace is a girl. So the dog has realized that there's more to life than dog food. And it comes with this old guy that shows up once a year, you know? And we human beings are not too different to my brother's dog. And, you know, and that's just our physical appetite. That's just when it comes to stuff that we eat. And so by the way we behave around food, it just shows you a little bit more about our human condition, about what is going on inside of us. If each one of us just sat down and for a moment and just thought about how we behave towards certain things, our food and other experiences that we encounter in this world, we would quickly discover that we are hungry for more than just physical sustenance. We want more. We hunger and we thirst for a fuller life. We all want that full life. And so the problem is, is we're just not so sure on how to get it. So what do we do? We chase after anything and everything that feels good in the hope that it may become our ultimate good. And human beings do that all the time, don't we? Just look at the society that we live in. Um, just people chase all sorts of things that they don't really need in order to get more life. You know, from the food we eat to the experiences that we experience to the vacations that we go on. You know, from high school teenagers desperate for a boyfriend or girlfriend because they do not want to be alone all the way to the person who works 100 hours a week so they can get as much money as they can, so they can buy as much stuff as they can, so they can feel like they're living a fuller life. We do all sorts of things to chase this thing, this life that we're looking after. Yet time after time, we hear the same story, don't we? People gain the world, but they do not find that more that they are looking for. You know, Jay Pathak, the vineyard pastor right in Colorado, was telling a story the other week about the statistics surrounding people who've won the lottery. Uh, you know, the levels of depression that, have, that they have and suicide rates in them. It's like they win the lottery and their lives fall apart. They gain the world but lose their soul. You know, they'd been buying the lottery th tickets thinking if they got all that money, they would eventually have the more, the life that they're looking for. And then they get it. And the disaster and the pain and whatever is going wrong in their life is just amplified by all that cash. Fascinating stuff. The earthly things that people pursue never live up to be the ultimate fulfilling good that they are looking for. And we all do it. I mean, just think for a moment. What is the earthly thing that you're pursuing? That... You're hoping it's going to be that next ultimate good that's just going to make your life just amazing. You know, maybe it's food, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a car, maybe it's your next vacation, maybe it's the job that you're looking for. You think it's the job's going to give you that happiness and joy. What is it for you? Maybe it's just a little bit more peace and quiet. Maybe, maybe it's something simple like a recliner. I don't know. We all have that thing that every once in a while in our hearts, there's something earthly on this earth that we try to give ourselves over to in the hope that it's going to make ourselves, our lives better. 
But when we get those things, we realize, no, that's not the case. So where, where is this life? Where can it be found? Where is this fullness that we're looking for? You know, the people following Jesus around the Sea of Galilee were the same as us. They were looking for that same life as well. And they were amazed by Jesus. Why? Because he had just multiplied food. And, you know, food security back in the day was a much bigger concern for them than what it is for us now. You know, because the people in Jesus' time, their food supply was mostly local and heavily dependent on the seasons, and starvation was a real problem for them. It's not like if their crops, you know, failed, then they just shipped stuff, some bananas in from Brazil. It didn't work that way back in the Roman times. If their crops failed, they starved. That's how it worked. And so food security was a big, big deal. And so for many of the people in Jesus' time, those people following Jesus around, not, being, not having to worry about food was their big more. That was their thing. Hey, if I don't have to worry about food, then I've got the good life. Then, I'm, then I've got the, the, the fullness of life that I'm looking for. And this dude that's talking about stuff that I have no idea what, he's, what he means just made a bunch of food out of five loaves of bread. So I'm sticking with this guy. If I stick with him, I'm not going to go hungry. That's why Jesus said in that weird statement when they all found him, he said, you're just looking for me because you ate and had your fill. He's calling out their idol in that passage. He's saying, you're just following me not because of the amazing things I'm doing. It's because, you know, if you stick around with me, you might not go hungry again because I can make bread out of, I can make a whole bunch of bread out of a little bit of bread. And so he's challenging that thought. That's what they were going for. By the way, that's a good measure of wealth. If you ever feel really poor, because, you know, we have lots of rich people in this country, but if you never have to worry about food, you're a lot, you're a lot richer than what you think you are. Just so you know. Because there are people who live this way all over the world, Asia, Africa, where they, they actually... Food security is their biggest concern. That's what they wake up. They wake up in the morning and go, am I going to eat today? If you don't think that way, if you wake up and you go, oh, what am I going to eat today? You know? As in, what am I going to choose? You're a lot richer than what you think you are. And so be, be, don't feel guilty about it. Be filled with gratitude and let it lead you towards generosity. And so Jesus knew this about them and they knew that he knew that they just wanted that extra food, but he also knew that the extra food they wanted wasn't the real more that they were actually yearning for. And so he begins to talk to them about that. He knew that they really needed and wanted life, but they just hadn't figured out where that fullness of life could be found. And so he begins to talk to them about that. And in that interaction with his listeners, listeners, listeners he says that although... Physical food may sustain their immediate needs of their bodies. He has this food, this bread of sustenance that gives life in all its fullness to their deepest being, to our deepest being. And so what is that food? What is that life, that sustenance that can carry us into and throughout eternity? Jesus he thinks he is that sustenance. Jesus thinks that he is the bread of life. And so by doing that, he's claiming a few things. He's claiming that he is our sustenance in this life. 
He believes that in him we'll find all that we need to live well in this life. Jesus is a one-trick pony, and he believes he's the trick. You know, me as a pastor, sometimes I have to say that to people. I'm just kind of a one-trick pony. I can't give you much. I can give you Jesus. That's it. Sorry. And, and so he believes that he's all we need to live well in this life. And live well doesn't mean a big house or a nice new car or lots of curry, whatever your, your poison may be. Live well means to go through life knowing shalom in our deepest, inmost being, regardless of our circumstances. What is this shalom that they talked about a lot in Jewish culture? In a sense, it's a sense of deep well-being, deep joy and peace, and knowing, deep in your knower, if you like, I like to use that statement, that all is going to work out, that you are who you were created to be, and that all is good with you and your creator, and your creator is going to look after you is going to help you through life. Jesus is our source for eternal life. There is a life after this one, one that is with God, one that we were created for, and that is good. And Jesus sees himself as the ticket to that. Because there's also a life beyond this one that's separate from God, and that isn't good, and Jesus doesn't want that for people. Jesus is the giver of eternal life. That's what he means when he calls himself the bread of life. And finally, when Jesus offers us the bread of life, he offers us himself. And that's one thing we have to understand about God, our creator, is that God is not just interested in forgiving you and saving you from your sins, although that is important. He does want to do that. And as well as that, he is not just interested in restoring you to your original created purpose here on this planet, to be his image bearer to all around you, people and creation alike. Although that is very important. He is interested in doing that. In addition to those two things, God wants to give you himself. What does that mean? Well, God loves people. He wants to be in relationship with them. He wants to do life with them. He wants to do life with you. He wants to be family to you. You know, a large part of the gospel is God inviting you and I into his family, into participating in the life of the Trinity. Very, very complex thing. And not, not a dysfunctional family like what we all know here on earth. All of our families have their dysfunctions and their imperfections, and we all leave our families with baggage that we have to deal with in life and that we hope we don't put onto our kids later on in life, and we do, and then they have to, and the cycle goes on. It's not that type of family. Jesus invites us into a family with him that is perfect, where each one of us is loved fully just for who we are. Even if who we are is very flawed and broken, we're accepted and loved and received into the family. And it's only after we're received into the family that God begins to shape us and change us and transform us more into what we should be, more into those image bearers that we're invited into. But we're all along, we're loved and accepted regardless of our dysfunction. And we're all yearning for a family like that because in the real world, let's be honest, our dysfunctions, our dysfunctions cause problems in our families. They break relationship. We know they do. But in God's family, our dysfunctions don't do that. 
He continues to work with us and shape us and transform us. We're always loved. We're always received. And that is a large part of the gospel. God wants to hold you close. He wants to love you and receive you and accept you. He wants to be with you. And as we struggle through our lives and looking for all these things that give us the fullness of life, the sooner that we realize that, that His heart towards us is good, and as soon as we find a way to throw ourselves onto that, we will begin to encounter that fullness of life that we're really pursuing, that thing that we're looking for. And we'll begin to understand what Jesus means when he says, I am the bread of life, because we would have gotten to the place where we've begun to eat that bread. And that bread is Jesus and inviting him in fully and surrendering and saying, transform my mind, transform my thinking. Fill me with your love, O oh God. And so as we get to the end, I want to ask you a question. Is that something you would like to step into today? Are you hungry for the bread of life that Jesus offers? Let's stand. Jen, do you want to come on down? If you're able to stand, please stand with us. Otherwise, it's all right to sit. Don't worry about it. So here at the vineyard, when we finish our message, we just have a time of response. This is just an, an opportunity for you to respond to whatever it is that you've heard. As well as that, we just call it ministry time is the word we give it. And it's just your time to draw near to the Lord. Most of us here just live incredibly busy lives. And we very rarely stop and slow down and just invite God to draw near to us. And so we're just going to do that right now. And so... Maybe what I've spoken to you about today is really impacting you in some way. Maybe it means nothing and you've got something else that you want to uh, pray into with the Lord right now. And so that's fine. Just This is your opportunity. And so we're just going to ask God to make his presence real. And um, we'll just wait a couple of minutes. So don't let the silence in the room be awkward. This is just your opportunity to let God draw near to you, like I said. And then in a couple of minutes, we'll close with a song and when we close with that song, you're invited to come down and receive prayer. Our prayer team will come down in a minute. And um, you c we believe in healing. You can receive prayer for anything at the vineyard. But you may want to respond to our message today and uh, come down and take a step into that. And I'll talk more about that in a second. But, Father, we thank you that you are present by your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come, make yourself real. You know each one of us in this room. You know where we're, we're at. You know what we're struggling with. You know the things that we're pursuing that just aren't going to bring us life. And so we invite you. Would you reveal those things to us? Would you strengthen us to turn away from them and to turn to you?